There's a place here at the table Your coats go by the door You can kick your shoes off in that pile on the floor I hope you wore elastic Cause your waistband's gonna get tight Take time's done, we're having a night Hello everyone, it's Sophie Ari, and you're listening to Having a Night, Reviving the Lost Art of the Dinner Party. Sophie, I think this is um, a first time on air. I'm, I might barf. <laughs> I don't think I've ever <gasps> wow. been this hungover. I don't think I've ever been this hungover uh, recording a show before. Oh my God. I'm really impressed. What did you drink last night? I mean, I really had a night. Uh, <laughs> I've been, guys, it's been a year of no nights, and here we are. No nights. In the land I of know. nights. Just crushing it. A, a year, 365 days of no nights, they all in one, all like coming together into one weekend of epic nights. Just uh, full disclosure, I've, I've been at a wedding in Florida. So one can only imagine. I'm fully vaxxed, as you guys know, but I, I still might have COVID after everything I've done. <laughs> Oh God, no more. Well, also, if you, we can have a safe word if you actually want to vomit. Yeah. Like chips, chips. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Um, what did you? On that note, what did you eat this week? No, I want to know what you drank last night. What was that? Oh, did yes. you mix? I started with just tequila. I was like, I'm gonna stick Great. with tequila. Oh, I did have. I did have my one life. glass of white wine at dinner. Thankfully, they were not just pouring the wine because I would have just kept drinking it. Like there was yeah. one one pour and then it was kind of a drink at your own risk or pour at your own risk. So I, right. I then continued I, back. I went back on the tequila train. Um, but you're, you're still hungover. Well, it was just copious amounts. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. How fun. Mm-hmm. But it's I do oh. the same thing. I'm always like, I'm drinking tequila because tequila doesn't have a hangover. And then I have one <laughs> glass of something oh. else and I'm screwed the next morning. I can't, it's like I can't tell. Maybe I'm still a little bit drunk because I'm still like I oh. I still think I'm pretty hilarious. I'm not just riling with hate. You know, that that phase is to come. I know that that is coming soon. I see it for myself in my future. Well, I was just looking online. Somebody told me, actually, our friend Whitney told me that there was something on Shark Tank that was like the hangover cure where you take it the night before. It's called Cheers. I've been looking it up. It is $35 (laughs) for a bottle of pills, but I'm ready to try it. I'm like, if that could get rid of, to me, the worst part is the anxiety of the next morning. The Mm -hmm. like feeling just like a little out of it, looking back on whatever happened the night before and being like, oh no, was that rude? Like, was I terrible? Yeah, sure. And apparently this pill helps get rid of that. Really? Wow. Oh, it's like about it's the called anxiety. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's clonopin. Um Wow. Well, you know what? Cheers, if you're listening, you should sponsor us because it's like having a night without without the bad parts the next day. I mean, we're exactly you should really, really send us some free product and we'll plug and we'll plug it. Okay, so I'll just launch into what I ate this week because I'll give you some time to nurse your hangover. Um, <laughs> I went to our friend Kevin's house for dinner, and he made such a great salad that I never would have thought of. It was thinly sliced celery, thinly sliced Granny Smith apple, uh-huh. some dates, some like 
parsley, like big pieces of parsley Mm. and some ricotta. And I don't know what the dressing was. I think it was really, really simple. It was like definitely maybe just like some lemon and olive oil, but I feel like I never put dates in a salad because dates to me, they have that like really like tacky quality and they can be Mm -hmm. way too sweet. But this, the, the balance was just right. And with like that crisp apple, it was really, really, really yummy. And he, I think it's maybe a salad that he had learned. He stayed in, he lived in Saudi Arabia for a while. He was working there in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe he started eating it there or something. But anyway, it was very delicious. Kevin, thank you so much. And he also made really, really, really good, totally not overcooked, which is so tricky, shrimps on the barbecue. Just delicious with some Old Bay seasoning. Kevin. Heaven, heaven, heaven. Okay, what'd you eat this week? That sounds really, really delightful and, and crisp and refreshing. Well, I will just say last night at the wedding, always get deeply into these wedding menus. It's like just a source of endless fascination. Like, what are you yep. going to serve your wedding? What are, what are we on tonight? It was not, you know, a pick, you know, stay like filet mignon or salmon. It was, yeah, it was like, uh, there was no choice. So it was both. And I was like, oh, it's going to be a surf and turf. It was, I've never had this. It was a piece of like mahi and a little piece of chicken. What would you call Interesting. that? Interesting. A duet. Oh, uh-huh. I was going to say like a surf and cluck. <laughs> That's way better. <laughs> way better. The surf and cluck. <laughs> anyway, it was, de- it was delightful. I was like, this is strange. And then I was like, nope, this is actually very good. Prepared very well. Well, I do wonder with the way that things are going, Obviously, guys, big, big, big news this week. Uh, 11 Madison Park is going fully vegan. Like, I Mm -hmm. wonder with the way that things are going, if more people who are having weddings who feel conscientious about the environment will be like, we could not possibly serve beef at our wedding. Like, because that's not like, oh, I have beef, you know, once a month or once every three weeks. That's I'm serving 150 people beef. So I wonder if it'll trend a little bit more in that territory. I actually, I mean, I wonder if more people will start who are not vegans will start having vegan or vegetarian weddings. Vegetarian is yeah. pretty easy. If you just do like an amazing pasta. Guess what? Mac and cheese in my wedding. You're all invited. Ooh, I love it. That's a great idea. Mac and cheese. What would you have as sides? <sighs> I don't know. Some you know what? Sauce. Don't think about mac and cheese. You're going to barf. Anyway, okay. This week on the podcast, wow, guys, we have such a wonderful guest. We had such an incredible time talking to her. Her name is Renee Erickson. If you've been through Seattle, you have probably been to one of her many, many, many restaurants. Queen of Seattle. Truly the queen of Seattle. I could not get over it. It's like, you know, you start looking at the restaurants she has and you're like, oh, okay, Walrus and the Carpenter. Like I've definitely heard of that. And she's one of James Beard Award. And whale wins and she has all these restaurants and like wait she also has a donut shop and she also does like design for other restaurants i mean she's just oh incredible truly incredible jack of all trades she as you guys will hear in the interview she um grew up studying art she thought she wanted to be in the art world and kind of transitioned she like fell into the restaurant profession she's just so has such a sense of creativity that trickles into everything she does. And she's so open-minded and brave and really started. She, I think she bought her first restaurant that she was working at and then it went for sale. She bought it when she was in her early twenties. I mean, she's an incredible, incredible woman. I just really quickly, I was just going to say that it's very cool to hear about someone whose career 
obviously has had such a clear trajectory, but that it seems like it was so unexpected to her that, yes. you know, it wasn't this thing of like, well, I went to the CIA and then I did this and then I did that. Like, right. it, it just sort of fell in her lap and she just, exactly. just grabbed the bull by the horns. Very cool. Yeah. She just was so open-minded and, and ready. And I think just that's the most inspiring thing rather than, oh, okay. So then I did this. I saw, I saw a path and I pursued it. She just was like, what's up world? It's me, Renee. <laughs> I'm going to take over. Anyway, her new cookbook is called Getaway, which is so perfect for this time that we've been living in. Um, It's inspired by cooking from all over the world. Um, She spent a lot of time in Rome. It's her second cookbook, I believe. And actually, when she sent it to me, I was like, yes, it's finally here. And I was at my parents' house and I look up and I see her first cookbook, like staring back at me from the shelf. So I'm like, oh, yes, (laughs) I I own the entire collection. She she Uh. is... It's a beautiful cookbook for sure. It's a really beautiful cookbook. If you guys are interested in traveling to Rome, Paris, Normandy, Baja, California, London, or Seattle, you should definitely also, sorry, I was going to say you should definitely pick up this book. Let me finish my sentences. But I was getting so excited because the cocktail recipes that she has in the book are so gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I was so excited by them. I Every time I get a cookbook, I actually wonder how you approach this. Every time I get a new cookbook, I read through every single page and like Mark, you know, turn down, fold down the pages of all the ones that I want to cook. Mm-hmm. I dog-eared so many of her pages. Oh <laughs> the my whole God. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to like have to just spend a year cooking this cookbook. Do you do the same though? Like when you get a cookbook, how do you approach it? You know, I'm like a little kid. So first I just look at all the pictures <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and then I go back. <laughs> But I don't like to dog ear them. I don't know why. I guess I should because I do like the feeling of like a well-worn book, but I put a lot of post-it notes and I'll like get super, for some reason, I'll get really organized. Like I'll do different colors. Like these are things that like blue is cocktails and little yellow ones are entrees. And yeah, so, but then I have all these all these uh, cookbooks with all this paper sticking out and, and that doesn't right. look very great on the shelf either. So whatever, <laughs> but it's a, it's a sign of love, you know? Anyway, oh, let's get to, before oh, you guys no. launch into the episode, I just want to say we will send you guys into this episode. We promise. But I made the whipped butter. We talk about whipped butter mm-hmm. and I made the whipped butter and I put some ramps and parsley in it. And wow, you guys highly, highly, highly recommend whipping your butter it just makes the presentation somehow seem that much fancier. Um, yeah. You'll hear all about it in this episode. Enjoy. Okay, here we are with Renee Erickson. Hi, Renee. Hello, Sophie. Hi, Ari. Hi, we're so excited to have you. We are such big fans. We wish we could come to Seattle to visit one of your many restaurants. They all look incredible. No, it's, it's been wild. You have a new book that is coming out. Our copies are in the mail, so we have not gotten to see it yet, but it looks, from everything that I've seen, it looks beautiful, but it's called Getaway. Will you just like give us, uh, tell us about it? Sure. Um, It is a book that's uh, broken into six chapters, all places in the world that have been really inspirational to me as a cook. So I've been cooking for almost 25 years now at, you know, give or take. And, um, the kind of the premise of it started when I started thinking about when I really 
became a cook, you know, like, and that happened after many years, but, you know, it happened because of some time I spent in Rome when I was a student in college and, and the kind of awareness of food and, and how food based on my, like growing up in the seventies and eighties, um, the, the emphasis and the dailiness and the specialty of food was so different. And it really, I was just so excited. Like I couldn't believe that food mattered so, you know, like it was like a massive part of their daily lives in a way that wasn't just about eating, but, um, about seasonality and, and that. So, um, I think, you know, in hindsight, it became really clear to me that although I was in Rome for, um, art, I spent a lot of time eating and look, you know, like penny pinching so that I could try something and buy a porcini that I shouldn't have. Well, I bought, tried to buy four and then I was panicked because I, it was like, or some stupid thing. And I'm like, okay, I'll I'll have one, you know, but um, Mm -hmm. yeah. So then there's the rest of the chapters are Paris, Normandy, London, Baja, California, and then Seattle. So then they all kind of are in order except for Seattle because that it could have gone anywhere really in kind of order of places that I've traveled and traveled to over and over and over again for the last 20 years. So, yeah. And did you come up with a concept before, like during COVID or was it like a happy accident that you had come up with this concept? I know. Happy accident. (laughs) Wow. I know. Um, even the title, which is sort of crazy. Um, originally the, the, the concept as a lot of, you know, things do, they, they start out with something and then end up being very different or a little bit different. In this case, it was, um, we had intended for the book to be about, kind of that time of day, the aperitif time or the apparel hour where there's lots of um, simple foods and easy things to gather with friends and everything. Um, a lot of things that you could purchase and just trying to make things that were um, simple. And uh, and that kind of spun into a bigger book where there's, there's still a, a large focus on that in each chapter. There's cocktails, um, there's, you know, conversations around, and they're simple. They're not like fancy bartender cocktails. They're, I, I am not, I am not that, um, but, uh, and then like traditional foods or foods that I've had, um, served to me in places or, or things that just make me feel like I'm there or make me smile and think about a place. So, yeah, so it, it, it's a bigger book than, um, I intended in the beginning because of, you know, Aper TV is before dinner. It's not, you know, dinner. So, uh, once it became broader, we obviously added more, you know, substantial recipes and things that were more dinner focused or at least shareable that you could move into. And are any of the recipes, uh, are they, can we, can people eat them at any of your restaurants? Are they all kind of things that are, are in some form? Yes. I mean, there's things like we have, there's a lot of seafood in the book. Um, a lot of like crudos and things like that, which we serve in a number of our restaurants, um, depending on the time of year. Um, there's a date dish that is like sauteed dates that's been kind of changed a little bit. We have, um, dates at two restaurants, um, and they kind of weave in and out of whether it's an appetizer or it's a dessert. Um, yeah. So there's some things that you can kind of see, but you know, the book, my previous book about oil and a walrus was more recipes that came from the restaurants or from my kind of growing up as a cook and things that became really, um, staples that I would cook. So there's, there's a little of both, a lot of things that I cook at home too, which is fun. 
How, I mean, I feel like I haven't spent that much time in the Northwest at all. I went to Portland sort of recently and had the best time and I did not make it up to Seattle, sadly. But how would you describe like Pacific Northwest food? I mean, I, I, I ate a lot of oysters. I felt like I saw a lot of donuts. Like that seemed to be like a big theme. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you we have a donuts. donut shot. Yeah. I do, yeah. I love that. And I'm like, Seattle's going for donuts. <laughs> According <laughs> to Sophie Von Hasselberg. Exactly. Who's been there one time. <laughs> you know, that's, it's funny that you mentioned that. Like, I think that's part of my, um, I am, I'm from the Northwest and I'm obviously a very big fan of it. And one of the things that um, I'm hopeful with the book is that more people come. Cause I hear that a lot where people come to Seattle to go to somewhere else. You know, they fly in here and then go to Vancouver or they go to Portland or they go to, where else would they go? It's <laughs> kind of the I main, those say, are the few things. Yeah. I was texting a friend while I was in Portland and he was like, man, Portland's so over. You should go to Seattle. So <laughs> Seattle Portland's is a great. much hotter place. <laughs> I love Portland, but you know, it always kind of like breaks my heart a little bit when someone's like, oh, I just came and got on a cruise ship and left. And you're like, oh, Oh, yeah. for both of those things, but yeah. you know, um, <laughs> uh, so food wise, you know, Seattle is, it's pretty remarkable. It's, it's wedged between a, a, a bay. So like we call it the Salish sea or the Puget sound was what it was historically called before it was actually the Salish sea when, you know, all the conqueror terrible people showed up and changed all the names. But, um, uh, so it's wedged between this bay of water that um, basically kind of buffers the Seattle, um, the city itself. And then on the on the east side of the Salish Sea is a mountain range called the um, the Cascades and the Olympics. So there's this like weather system that happens. And so we have this like m basically the one mountain range is a rainforest. And then we have this like very like I wouldn't say Mediterranean climate, but like temperate climate around the water and then another mountain range and then desert. Yeah. So it's wild. And so like we can get tomatoes that are grown in a hundred degree weather driven to us in four hours from Eastern Washington that are insane. We can also get, you know, foraged mushrooms and wild greens from the mountains. And then we can also get wild fish and crab and Dungeness and it's super dynamic, I guess, is what I would say. It's really, um, there is a lot of seasons that are represented. We get all four. Yeah, there. so, you know, like seasonality is super important, I think, when you're a cook anywhere, but particularly here. Yeah, I would say for me, like the 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 food is, is a like a cultural, like there's just so much culture in Seattle um, from being, I think, a place where obviously I think any place that has ships makes a really interesting culture yeah. um, of people from all over the world. So we have insanely delicious food from Japan and China and Philippines and, um, you know, obviously all the like traditional European stuff, but yeah, it's great. And with the seafood, I think every culture has their own version of some, you know, like crab dish or whatever. And so getting to have that is really unique. And I think you know, we're really lucky for that. Gosh, I mean, we also had another uh, Washington enthusiast on. We had Kyle McLaughlin on the show. Oh, wow, yeah. And But I think between the two of you, everything you've said, I'm like, why don't we live there? Sophie, should we go there? I mean, I it's incredible. Should it for, <laughs> you should for sure come. It's, it's pretty God. beautiful. I mean, 
I think what's striking about it is, you know, from the outside, it's like, sure, I watched Grey's Anatomy a million years ago, and I'm like, Seattle's a rainy place with a hospital. Right. It's like, but then <laughs> you like Frasier, exactly, exactly. Right, and then you hear America. about sort of the the variety. Like Kyle was talking about, he was in, you know, grew up in Walla Walla, and talking about this fruit fruit basket of America okay. kind of thing, and how just just the way that things grow there. It just sounds like a really Magical place. Okay, Ari, we can add that to our road trip. There list. you go. Yay. <laughs> so you have, how many restaurants do you currently have? We have currently six. I wow. mean, we have 10, but four are closed. Yeah, and so the, we closed everything and laid off upwards of 200 and something. Oh my place. gosh. Yeah, it was, it was pretty... It's still tragic because so many of them were people that we, of course, don't, won't probably come back or have left or moved or whatever. Um, And so it's just heartbreaking to like, see that, you know, see people that you care about just kind of let go, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) what? Yeah. Um, And yeah, so we, we basically kind of, you know, because we didn't know what the hell we were doing or what we were facing. We basically tried to keep all management employed so that we, you know, cause we thought we would open back up, you know, soon. Right. You know, as we all did, we didn't know what was headed our way. Yeah, and like two weeks. Sure. <laughs> I know. Right. June. Oh my God. Um, and, um, and so we just kind of chose three locations that were far enough away from each other so that we could do takeout and try to sell to a larger section of the city. So we left three restaurants sort of open for takeout. Um, and then those have been open the whole time. And then we've added, um, two since then. So, and was like, when you were, when you were first a chef, like with your first restaurant, were you always dreaming of having a bunch of different places or were you like, I mean, cause that's a lot to tackle. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was 25 when I bought Boat Street. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. So I was, you know, I had the kind of quick story as I went to school in Rome, graduated college wanted to be an art teacher, kind of hung around in um, Seattle, trying to figure out how to go back to Italy, applied to graduate school, was waitlisted to go to Temple University, which is how I was going to get back to Rome. And then during the last two years of my schooling, and then a year and a half, two years after, um, started working at Bow Street Cafe, which has ended up being the restaurant that I purchased because Susan, who started it and um, she, you know, was just kind of at a point in her life where she was going to let it go. And so I had, you know, it was very different world of food then there, you know, there was none of this, obviously no Instagram, no real, no one really could give you an opinion except if they had to like tell you to your face (laughs) other than, you know, like, you know, people that wrote for the papers. And so it was easier, you know, like there was, it felt, or at least, you know, if it felt like there was room to learn and grow in a way that wasn't immediate. So I was able to do things that I don't think it was common or is common for cooks or especially someone who was 22 or three or four um, to be able to cook and eventually like kind of run a kitchen. And it was, it was very, um, you know, it was a very rustic kitchen. Like when I started there, like it was an electric stove. Like there was a lot of, you know, not your, it wasn't a high tech kitchen, let's say that. And but it was fun. Like I learned a ton and I was able to cook, which I really enjoyed. And 
Um, over time, I just started doing more and more and more. And eventually I just loved being in restaurants, but I didn't have a clue as to what I was doing. You know, like I didn't, you know, I grew up, you know, like I said, in the seventies and eighties and my parents fed us well, we had good food. My mom was a good cook, but you know, I wasn't studying cuisine or anything, Mm -hmm. but it was mostly just, you didn't like go to culinary school. You didn't like have the same (laughs) upbringing. Yeah. I don't think I really, even when I took it over, I don't think I, you know, thought of myself as being a chef ever, you know, it was mostly just like, I like running a restaurant. I like serving people. (sighs) It's super interesting to learn about the wine. I loved making crab cakes. You know, it was all really like about the like tasks, not about this grand plan. I never thought I was going to be, you know, a restaurateur as I am now called, which is still really funny and weird, but yeah. So I had one Bode street and then it got shut down and then I reopened it. And then at year, I guess it was like 12 years into having Bode street, my business partner, Chad, he was buying a building in Ballard and was kind of pestering me to open a space in it. And I was, I was afraid I didn't, you know, I didn't really think of myself as someone who could, um, manage two places, um, well, or I didn't have the confidence or, you know, I didn't, didn't really think I could, but I had always wanted to open an oyster bar. So he is persistent as, 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 uh, you know, thankfully, I guess, um, and kept bugging me and then just kind of made it so that it was really easy for me to do it. And so in the same time, I knew that I didn't want to have a restaurant where someone who cared enough or really, you know, was like somehow invested in it, you know, wasn't there. So I um, asked Jeremy, my other business partner, if he wanted to be the third partner. So like basically the managing partner. So he would be the one that was there all the time. Cause I was still at boat street and kind of running between the two. And, and so we all kind of have our lanes and we trust each other and, and it's great. You know, like we, we kind of joke that we fight like siblings a little bit now that we're, 11 years into this crazy mm. but, yeah I'm yeah. sure I'm just so inspired and like uh, it's amazing that you were that young and you had <laughs> the bravery and the guts to do this it's really incredible mm. coming from an art background how did that kind of inform your decision making I'm sure you had like a, a really not- strong point of view in terms of like your aesthetic and, and design wise, and also probably with food, but it's not as if you had gone to like a, a management or business program and then opened restaurants. You were no. got a BFA. No, right. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, I, I, I generally say that I was too young enough to know what I was getting into, you know, like, I think it's sort of like kids driving too fast. Like they don't know that what the hurt's going to be like. Um, yeah. So you know, I just, I loved doing it. And I remember asking um, a few close friends and my parents just like, what should I, you know, cause I was like, well, I, do I wait to see if I get into graduate school or do I, you know, take this advantage of, you know, this offer that Susan was giving me to take wow. over a restaurant, you know, at very little cost to me. And everyone was just like, do the restaurant. Of course I was laughing. I'm like, I'm a terrible artist, but um, uh. <laughs> I'm like, thanks parents. But um <laughs> And I didn't think I was doing it forever. You know, I just was like, well, this is fun. You know, like, I don't think I thought about, again, I think something like that is very youthful is just, you know, you're just thinking about what you're happy doing now. And so it becomes your life. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a choice, you know, that I think you have to make every day when you're like getting called to like fix the freezer or, 
you know, yeah. like, it's not like you get to go home and leave it. You're, you know, there's always something. And so in, at least in ownership and in management, I would say too, but, you know, I also, I just still really love it. Like going into our restaurants and being there and seeing guests happy, even if it's like, you know, over a fence during a pandemic, it still feels yeah. really nice. So, yeah. and it is really creative too. I think I'm, I'm a very, um, you know, physical person. Like, I don't think I can sit, I couldn't have sat behind a desk. I definitely couldn't have been a teacher either. <laughs> so yeah, I, uh, the year before I bought the restaurant, I decided I was like, I should probably like see if I like being around kids this much. And so I became a teacher's assistant at the school district that I went to school at. And it was like hysterical. I was just like, what am I doing? Like, yeah. girls are awful. Like awful. I hated it. I was oh like, God. what is wrong with you? So, yeah. So I think, you know, Thank I'm God. very happy doing yeah. what I'm doing still. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, like you're saying, you know, it's like be working in a restaurant, owning a restaurant, owning a group of restaurants, of course, becomes your entire life. Do you still have time to entertain at home? Like, do you still get to do that? Do you like doing that? I love it. I know, you know, it's, it's, I have listened to a, a lot of your podcasts and just oh. roar with your humor and kind of just ease around your opinions and everything. So yeah, I love to, no, it's so good. It makes me very happy. I'm like, Oh God, I'm not the only one that's just like, don't do that. Do this. Like, yeah. <laughs> Don't throw that away. Um, I, I love to cook out for people. Like it's my favorite thing. And I think, um, even when I was cooking all the time, six days a week, I still would have people over. I do it less now. I mean, obviously because of the pandemic, but prior to that, like it would be more like once a month or maybe twice a month, but every, you know, my friends all want to come over for dinner, which I love. I love cooking for people, you know, and I'm definitely, we talk about it in the book a lot where I think I give less, um, worry to, like the meal per se. Like, I'm not trying to like, wow, anyone, I just want to have a good time. Like, I think, oh, you know, it doesn't have to be this big, you know, elaborate feast. I mean, it can be, which is awesome if you have the time, but if you don't like it's, you still should be able to have people over and, you know, open some sardines up and eat some crackers. So does that mean that like you cook different things when you're having people over than you have in your restaurants? Like, do you go in like a very different direction? Um, I mean, I would say I like, I would maybe experiment more at home for sure. Um, <laughs> not on my I mean, guess. At least you know what you're doing. Whenever I experiment, it's a fucking disaster. I no, have I, I, not yeah, true. I, I well, I have shio koji. I like made some shio koji, and it's sitting in my refrigerator. And I'm having people over for dinner for the first time next week, and I am going to be experimenting. And I can't wait to see. I love it. But I'm like, I hope it's not a disaster. Yeah, so the pizza on speed dial. Cooking for anyone, I think, is a massive gift. You know, I think it's such a like amount, you know, the energy and the time and the planning and, you know, just like, you know, it's just, it's such a nice thing to have someone cook for you. So that alone, I think is, is awesome. So if it's not perfect, like, all right, give them more wine. Yeah. Um, out their taste buds. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Top off their glass. I, I love to cook. My husband built me a wood oven in the backyard, which amazing, but that's been the best. We have a wood oven at whale winds and, um, cooking out of that has been probably my favorite tool, you know, or thing to learn how to do over the years. And so having one in the yard is, is super awesome. Like it's very special and, and I use it almost never for pizza and always for like roasting things. And I mean, it, 
everyone's like, oh, a pizza oven. And I'm like, yep, it is. But it's mostly like, you know, like cooking vegetables in it is like the coolest, um, obviously meats and things like that. And you can regulate the temperature. So it's not, you know, only 800 degrees. And, um, like I can grill on it, like I'll build a fire and then pull coals out and then put a little old grill on top of that and grill a steak or so, you know, it's become kind of a thing that is, uh, multi-purpose, you know, and you can, you know, I've made bread in it too. It's just, it's so cool. It's so much fun. And then, you know, obviously it's warm the next morning, so you can bake in it. And Jesus. it's like, if I had one way to cook, it would just be that. Wow. But like, yeah. so, cause I mean, of course you spend a lot more time cooking than I do and, and have much more knowledge about this, but we have a wood burning oven where I was quarantining for a lot of blah, 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 whatever COVID. But <laughs> I have, I mean, so far from mastered it, Jesus. It's like I cooked two chickens that were a big success. Nice. But the vegetables for me were so touch and go. And then, like, I tried, I read like granola is actually a great thing to do in a wood burning oven. So I was like, yeah, I bet. I'm not that. But like, uh, how do you do? How do you do a vegetable? <laughs> yeah, walk uh, us through a vegetable. How do you Any do old vegetable. vegetable. <laughs> um, you know, when I first, before we opened the whale winds, a friend of mine has a pizzeria really close by here called Delancey and it's awesome. And he had a wood oven. And so I went in on his days off and basically like would put stuff in it and see what it did, you know, like, so like it was springtime. I remember. And I, I was like, Oh, I'm going to cook some asparagus. That'll be great. And I like put it in there and turned around and they were just black. Right. Right. Okay. Well that, that's not good. <laughs> you know, right. um, I've done that a lot. Um, but I am not a person that will like study something like by reading a ton about like the science part of it. Yeah. I'm more interested in being like, you know, rolling something in there and seeing what happens to it. Totally. Um, especially if it's hot, you don't walk away from it. You know, it's something that you don't, it's not like a stew that you're going to stick in your oven and then four hours later, you're going to check it. You know, this is something that you're minding the whole time. Big time. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you have to want to just hang out by the oven um, and just, you know, wait and see what happens. But it's so cool because it's, you know, you can like cook onions in the coals and they get, you know, they kind of steam and get become like onion pudding almost inside. And, um, you know, we've roasted like a whole pineapple, you know, in the oven. So it's, yeah, I know. So, I mean, it's, it's a lot of like doing almost nothing to something and just sticking it in the oven and then turning it into another thing afterwards. But I think I just have to have a little more, like be a little yeah, more open care. to experimentation. <laughs> know um, that you're going to screw it up. Right. And, and two pineapples. Gonna two pineapples. Two pineapples and right. plan on eating one of them raw. When, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Not too good. Back to the book, back to this idea of getting away. What are the places that you've missed the most in the last year? You know, I would say the place that I've talked the most about is mm-hmm. Rome. I love it there so much. Like yeah. it's just, and I think, you know, I've, I've thought a lot about it where I'm like, why, you know, what is it? Cause it's obviously there's a million beautiful places and there's so many that I've not been to, but I th- honestly think it's, it feels like my, you know, second home only cause I was there when I was young, mm-hmm. you know, I, it was a place that I fell in love with for art and then food. And, and I also like, the people a lot. I think Italians are, you know, they're just wild and like, you know, they kind of live, you know, like, you know, not everyone obviously, but like, especially in Rome, like people are outside doing stuff and telling you what they think and 
you know, things are a little crazy and um, it's a little bit dirty and it's a little bit wild and it's like epically beautiful and food's really humble and delicious. And I don't know, I just, I just think it's perfect. So, and then I, you know, the second place would be Baja just because I think kind of, it's really easy to get to from Seattle. It's four hours, which is awesome. And uh, we have good friends down there that have, uh, uh, it, he's actually featured in the book. He's from La Paz, but he lives in Todos Santos or lives near Todos Santos, which is the town that most people would have heard of. He's a surfer. He has this beach bar called Barracuda on the beach and he makes probably my favorite shrimp and fish taco ever. Yeah. And I feel like that would have been a really good place to quarantine. I know. Right. In Baja with fish tacos. Right. Mm -hmm. I know. Warmth. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask about more about parties at Renee's house. So when people come over, are they allowed to bring things? Oh, that's a good question. I'm not a huge fan of a potluck, I have to say. I don't love it. I'm far more like OCD about all of it than I let on. Like I, cause I just want it to be organized enough. Like, you know, like I always have an idea, even though it might not be, it might not like maybe seem that way. Like there's a plan. People are, they're more than welcome to bring things, but sometimes I'm like, uh, you know, don't yeah. also just yeah. more stuff. Like, I know, you know, like, I don't want to store the leftover beer, like just, you know, drink it if you bring it. You know, I think that's but. a big part of it to me. Like, I think I'm trying to defend myself <laughs> from like the fact that I'm so OCD, but like a part of it to me is the stuff. It's like yeah. the stuff and the waste and the, mm-hmm. I have a plan, you know? Yeah, I know. Right. Totally. Well, yeah. It's like re-gifting food. Sometimes you're like, are you, was this, yeah, right. this like some leftovers that you had that you didn't want? And you're like <laughs> asking me to throw them out for you. Is that yeah. what's happening here? Totally. I've, tried to do my fair share of like etiquette around going to other people's places too. Like the, if you want to drink the wine that you're bringing, like make sure it's cold kind of thing, you know, like that kind of stuff, like where it's just like, cause it's just, yeah. Like you don't want to be rude going somewhere else either. So yeah, um, that's so true. It's Take up fridge space or be like, can I use your oven just to put this in there? It's like, oh my no, God. you can't. No, that, that is a hard no for me. Like if, if, if you like at the holidays or something, if someone like wants to make stuffing, it's just like, make the goddamn stuffing at home. Like yeah. don't come to my house and mess it up. Like I will kill you. You yeah. know, like, it's just like, you know, cause my kitchen's not big. And especially when you're having a party, it's, it's gets filled yeah. with things. And so yeah, I don't want people preparing their food in my kitchen. <laughs> Isn't that Agreed. terrible? Like, welcome to my perfectly like planned party. Now get out. Now just like yeah. <laughs> now leave. <laughs> now go outside or go wherever. Yeah, you know it's we. I definitely have more parties in the summer months where because we have this big backyard, which is awesome. But the rest of the house is tiny, so you know it's like we don't have a big open space that. Um, you know, everyone also wants to be in the kitchen and this kitchen, you know, like 10 people could stand in here, but you wouldn't be able to move. So this is a very good question. How do you get people out of your kitchen? I tell them to leave. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So simple. Yeah. I would say most people that get invited to my house know that I might be like, beat it, you know, go outside. Yeah. Or, you know, like if they really want to stay here, I'll just be like, stand over there or move here. Cause I don't also want to burn them or stab them or, you know, whatever. 
Like yeah. the only person that's always, not a person, the only thing that's always in the way in my kitchen is my dog. And he sits right in the middle. He's right here. <laughs> oh, God. he's giant. Listeners, when she says in the middle, he's literally in the oh, middle of the kitchen. The what kind of dog is he? <laughs> he is part lab, part Rottweiler and part Anatolian shepherd. Oh. He's a hundred. And I think he's, his COVID weight is 104 pounds. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, huge. He'll be like, <laughs> sorry, Arlo. Um, yeah, he's big. He's probably supposed to be like 98 pounds, but he's 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 had some extra like chicken skin this year. Um, Amen. Haven't we all? <laughs> right? haven't no we kidding. all. Chicken Eating chicken skin and getting chicken skin. <laughs> oh, so good. Um, yeah. What's your drink situation when you have a party? Are you like a wine only person or do you like to make a cocktail? Um, I like both. I'm, I prefer wine in general. Um, I really like cocktails. Um, there's a lot of recipes in the book actually that are like vermouth, um, based, mm. so lighter or sherry based, you know, and I'm again, like, I feel like I crave things depending on the time of year. So like, I'll probably not have a, you know, old fashioned until November, but I'll have, you know, other things. Whereas the, I think the only like all year round cocktail of mine is Negroni because I just love it. Um, but yes. yeah, but I'm not, you know, I definitely feel like I've hit the age where I don't do as well if I have like <laughs> cocktails and wine particularly, or, you know, too many of all of it. So, um, I choose wisely basically. I think I love spritzes, but I love them with like fancier amaros like my favorite is amara amaro it's a sicilian blood orange bitter mm, that is oh there's so delicious. there's so many amaros now amari if you will yeah it's so good it's um it, when we were in sicily every, they would have like these giant bottles and it was hard to resist it so um we fell in love with it yeah a-m-a-r-a i'm sure that like wine shops in new york will have it yeah. So I like it all. I'm a big fan of white wine. I would say by and large white wine and rosé, very little red wine, um, lighter red wines. I love Beaujolais. What are the white grapes that they do in Washington? So like I would, you know, I'm generalizing here, but most of the grapes planted in Washington, you know, however many years ago, um, were Bordeaux inspired, you know, so, um, Sauvignon Blanc, Cabernet, Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, Merlot. Um, and then, I, you know, great. Thankfully, like over the years, they planted more and more and more. So depending mm -hmm. on where it is in Washington, there's a lot of Chardonnay grown. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, I mean, like the usual suspects, of course, because um, that's what people drink. Um, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc. It's hot over there. It's like really hot. Like I'm sure Kyle was saying that um, Walla Walla, um, being kind of the epicenter of, of Washington wine too. But down like on the Columbia Gorge, there's, you know, Pinot Gris, um, Albarino, Gewurztraminer, Riesling. Um, so kind of a broad, like a lot of, it's, it's pretty interesting, like, and more so now, like people have really, I think kind of like everywhere in the winemaking world, younger people are um, taking over and experimenting and trying, you know, all sorts of stuff. So yeah, which is great. Um, more Rhone varietals are being planted now, which makes a lot of sense because it's so hot over there. Wow. Um, yeah, it's super fun. You know, I, for a long time, didn't buy a ton of Washington wines. I would buy more Oregon generally because I like lighter bodied and 
lower alcohol wines, but it's really, you know, there's been a huge change in Washington where there's like a more, um, you know, dynamic, uh, you know, quality of wine as far as like stylistically, it's, it's not just kind of like big cabs and things like that. So it's been mm-hmm. fun to see. Yeah. I love that. And it's just, you know, it just feels good to be able to buy stuff from someone, you know, which is always great. I just want to circle back. You were, had, had mentioned that the book kind of started as like possibly in a pair of TV situation. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, now we're talking about parties. What is your ideal kind of way to, to begin a night, whether it's at your house or at a restaurant? Like what is, what are some of your favorite little appetizers or bites or just, you know, what is, sure. what does that moment look like? Like the simplest thing that I think, especially if it's, if it's not a, like a, if it's more of a casual thing, I love salumi, you know, charcuterie. So like even just having a few that you can just set out and people can just slice. Um, I love that with different little like pickles and things like that, that you can, yeah. add, you know, just kind of pick at. I I'm a huge fan of radishes and whipped butter. Mm-hmm. Um, can't get enough of that, especially now, like they're going to be, you know, radishes are going to be popping up everywhere. How do you whip your butter? I know. Right. Um, we're kind of famous for whipped butter, which is pretty okay. fun. At, yeah. At walrus, it's funny. People actually take pictures of our butter bowl, which is hysterical, but you basically let, um, cultured butter sit out. We have it out all the time. So, so it's easy to whip. So it should be really soft. And then you put it in a KitchenAid and turn it on and you just let it go. And it'll basically air will get whipped into it, obviously. So it'll expand and it'll also change color and then it'll get shiny. And so you just kind of keep going and depending on how much you have, it'll take five minutes or something like that. Um, but it becomes like frosting almost. Um, yes. yeah, it's well, that makes so much sense. Cause I also, I have trouble sometimes cause the impulse is to dip the radish, but sometimes the butter is too cold. And then it's like, you're not get. it's just exactly. the radish is kind of moist and then it's just sliding down yeah, the butter totally. and yeah. Whipped butter. That's the answer. Very helpful. So smart. Butter. Yeah. It's, and you can put anything in it. We, you know, seaweed's really fun in it. You can put like mm. chilies in it. Obviously it's great on its own, but I did see um, a friend of mine who's French taught me, I have a video of it. I love it. He is teaching. He taught us um, actually in Bordeaux, he taught us how the proper way to eat radishes in France, which is at least according to him, you basically, and these are breakfast radishes. So he cuts them like down so that they're like, like they open up into like, uh, you know how you can kind of open up a lemon. So the same thing with the radish. And then you cut a little like kind of board of butter and then you stick it in there. So it holds inside right. and then you kind of touch it into the salt and then you eat the whole thing. <gasps> so yes. Pretty adorable. And it's, um, it makes total sense. Cause then like, you know, the butter it's stuck inside and then the salt has, you know, the butter to, you know, it's like not too much salt. Um, yeah. And the breakfast radish is the best because it's long. And so you can cut like a little, like, you know, it looks kind of like a piece of gum, you know, like a butter. Yeah. Inside. So I love Actually, that, yes. but whipped butter is easy and fun too. And it, it, you know, it holds up to heat really well, which is weird. It's like, hmm. again, I don't know the science behind it, but I find it very great. So Oysters, of course, especially, you know, if it's an outdoor party, like having people chuck their own oysters is always fun. Can be dangerous, but, and mm-hmm. then grilled oysters, especially in the wood oven. Again, the butter thing, you can add like your favorite hot sauce or seaweed or cheese to the butter 
and then put that on the oysters and put that in, on the grill or in the oven. That's really good and easy. You can pre-shuck the oysters and set them on a like towel on a tray and then just put the, the little blobs of butter on it and bake them in the oven. I have to say, I, I'm in a um, fangirl, the Dory Greenspan thing and talk about her, her, her Gougere because yes. I was lucky enough and we write about her in the book where we got to go to her apartment in Rome and she fed us those Gougere and it was insane. And, the, you know, like she, of course, is like so nonchalant about it. She's like, here's these hot, delicious, perfect things for you as you yeah. walk, and walk in the door, like just like. But blows your mind. She's so fantastic. So yeah, so incredible. Yeah. I saw that she blurbed your book, and I was like, oh. And David yeah. Tennis as well, who we also yeah, love I know so much. Oh my god, they're such god. heroes of mine. Yeah, I was so just beyond myself being able to have dinner with her and Michael. So yeah, so fun. So yeah, fun. and so Gougere, we have a giant Gougere in our book. So, um, oh. which is the like most ridiculous version of a Gougere, but why not? So it's essentially like a normal batch of Gougere, but you make four, I mean, they're like softball size and they're oh, fun and they're, you know, they're a little harder cause you have to like, you know, they have to puff otherwise they're really sad looking, but there it's a pretty sturdy dough, which, you know, is fun and easy, you know, it's definitely an easier thing than anyone would assume. Given yeah. how they taste. Yeah. Oh, they're insane. I know. Anything warm like that. She's totally right. Where, you know, you just feel so special when you walk in or when someone brings you this thing that, especially if it's yours, you know, like you don't have to like share it with anyone or. That's so know. true. It's <laughs> yours and it's warm and the, you know, the house smells good. Yeah. It's really. We should let you go, but before we do, all right, would you like to ask a very special question? <laughs> it, would, it would be an honor. <laughs> Renee, if you were stuck on a desert island and you could only have one type of chip, what would it be? <laughs> very important. Um, this is a very great question because I, there's actually a bit in the book where we joke about wanting to call the um, book, I Love Chips. Oh. <laughs> oh my god so we're, this is we're like chip queen. favorite person i you know i love chips i seriously love chips Same. so um if if it were any chip in the world i would choose and this is unfair because it's a chip that well you have to come to seattle to have it it's right. a chip that we make at the whale winds i had nothing to do with it but my chef there Cecile, who's brilliant, makes this chip out of a Kennebec potato, which I had never heard of. Um, he like blew my mind and he makes um, potato chip. We make them every day and we serve them with um, smoked salmon dip because I love dips. Mm. And so it's these chips and they're um, what I like about them is they taste kind of like a combination of a Pringle and a Lay's. Ooh. So it has this like texture that's cooler than a lay potato chip, Lay's potato chip, but not as like weird slash delicious as a Pringle. Right. Mm -hmm. you know? so, like tastes more like a potato than a Pringle. Exactly. But has, right. Wow. And, but it's like, uh, like an Idaho potato. I'm going to get in trouble for this. Has a, um, kind of like a papery quality in a chip. You know, it's like delicate. Yeah. This is a little sturdier, like Pringle. Right, because if you're if you've got a salmon dip, yeah, yeah it's got to hold so, up. Yeah, Ooh. 
the potato I would or the chip I would take is the Whalewind's chip. So good. Fabulous. Perfect, Perfect answer. Can't so wait fun. to go eat that <laughs> right? when we stop yeah. over for our road trip. Yeah, right. <laughs> I need it all it. 25 of your restaurants. Yes. <laughs> God help us. No. <laughs> no more. That's the rule. I can't do it. Oh, I want to go hang out in her backyard. <laughs> I know. I know. With her with her dog. And just, I will stay out of her kitchen. You know, she is someone who yeah. and I would never insist on helping. I'd be like, yes, you do your thing. And I am just going to enjoy myself and not get in your way. I was so glad that she was honest about that because I think we also ask that question a lot of people and they're like, yeah, of course. Like I'm really chill when I'm in the kitchen. And she was like, no, no, no. (laughs) Get out. (laughs) Which I like to hear because that's how I am, obviously. Well, that was so much fun. I really do think Seattle and Oregon are going to have to be like primo stops on our next road trip. Yeah, maybe we start there. have been talking about this a lot. Yeah, that's a good idea. Maybe we start there and then... Yeah, work our way down and east. Ooh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> oh. um, so thank you so much, Renee, for coming on the show. We are truly honored and so happy to have met you. You have no idea. Just like meeting and talking to you was like talking to an old friend. Sophie, thank you totally so true. much. <laughs> thank you so much thank for you. being my friend. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Colin. Thank you, listeners. Please, please, please rate, review, listen, subscribe. We love you. We know you love us, but if you could just show us a little bit of your love, five stars, um, it really does help (laughs) boost the ratings of the show. And you guys know we've been kicking it for a while and it's fucking hard up there when you're when you're up against when the you're, David Chang and you know and the Obamas and the Springsteen. <laughs> exactly. And the, guys, can celebrities just stop having podcasts? Like I know. Can they stop? It is not <laughs> their medium. Wild. But the thing is, it is. It is now, apparently. Shh, I know. Shh, don't tell anyone. Don't tell them. <laughs> anyway, but you know what? We are we're the early adopters. We're so not the early adopters. It's like if only we'd gotten in when Joe Rogan started. Oh. Uh-huh. Oh, well, I can't do Joe Rogan. <laughs> so we'll just keep going. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll see you guys next week. We have another great guest on the show. And, um, okay, goodbye. Okay, whoops. <laughs> 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 <laughs>